Well, if you would, uh, open your Bibles today to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we're going to be studying this morning these verses 7 through 13 as we continue in our study through uh, the book of Revelation. I want to take just a minute to uh, just kind of give you a, a little uh, snippet uh, of what's going to take place during the course of this month. Hard to believe we, we're, we've made it to March, isn't it? Uh, the year's just kind of buzzing uh, right along. Uh, way back last August, actually before August, when the Lord uh, laid out this series of messages for Easter, and we have two more messages in uh, chapter 3, that message today and next Sunday, and then we'll begin a series of messages uh, working our way toward Easter Sunday, which is the last Sunday in this month, entitled Three Days that changed the world. And we're going to talk about Good Friday, what I call Silent Saturday, and then Celebration Sunday. Now, you want to mark on your calendars, I believe it's the 29th, that's a Saturday, that's Silent Saturday. Normally we have Good Friday services, well we're going to have a Silent Saturday service. Alright, 6 o'clock, be right here in the auditorium, and we're going to start with the Passover and a reading from Scripture. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And then I'm going to walk you through Scripture readings. I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to let the Word of God speak. I'm going to walk you through Scripture readings that will carry us from the cross all the way to when we lay Jesus in the tomb. And then we're going to go out on Silent Saturday, and we coming back for Celebration Sunday. Amen? So, want to put that on your calendar. As we start that series, we'll be working our way. We'll be talking about the cruelest day in the world. That was Good Friday. And the saddest day in the world. Could you imagine being a disciple of Jesus, and your Lord is dead in the tomb, and then the gladdest day in the world, and that'll be that Easter Sunday. Three days that change the world. You don't want to miss this series of messages. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. Now, let's look at this chapter today, these verses today in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. We come to the sixth church of the seven churches that we will be studying that were located in the area of Asia Minor. By far, this is my favorite of all of the seven churches. I think that I can make a case in the study of these churches that this also might have been Jesus' favorite out of all of these churches as well. I've said to you that these churches are kind of like in a semi-circle on the map. And uh, uh, one letter is to this church and then the next letter is to next to the next, and probably these churches had begun to get the word that the Lord Jesus was sending a letter to His churches. I kind of wonder if the church at Philadelphia, the church we're going to study this morning, might not have been a little bit anxious about that letter that was coming to them. I mean, after all, they probably had heard that our Lord had just addressed the church at Sardis and He had called them a dead congregation. You could almost imagine that they might have been a little anxious when the preacher got up that Sunday 
and opened up this letter from the Lord Jesus Christ. But here is a church that had to have that had no reason for fear. Because our Lord shares no word of criticism, no word of condemnation. They are just simply words of commendation and congratulations for this church. As I studied this church at Philadelphia, I, I, I began to look at it on the map and I thought, well, you know what? This church right here is almost like a rose between two thorns. I mean, up the road from the church of Philadelphia, there was dead Sardis. And just down the road from the church of Philadelphia, there was disinterested Laodicea that we'll see next Sunday. Almost like a rose between two thorns. But here is a wonderful church of our Lord that loved Jesus Christ with all of its heart. As I began to think about these churches, I thought, well, you know, if Ephesus, we learned it was the sidetrack church. And Smyrna, it was the suffering church, going through tremendous suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. Pergamos, you know, that, that was the secular church. And Thyatira was the seduced church. Sardis, we saw last week, was the sleeping church. Philadelphia, I call the serving church. Here's a church that loved Jesus and they loved to serve Him and we're going to see that as we study this letter Jesus gave to the church. I circle the word in verse number 7, Philadelphia. I want to share with you some interesting things about the city of Philadelphia where this church was located and these things will help you understand the background behind the letter that our Lord gave to this church. There are four things I put in your notes that describe the city of Philadelphia. It was a strategic city, a very important city. Philadelphia was a city where all of the major highways of the Roman Empire came together. Highways from the east and from the west from the north and from the south, they converged in the city of Philadelphia. So commerce and travel from all parts of the world would funnel through the city of Philadelphia. It was a strategic city because this city was designed with a specific purpose in mind. This city was designed to accomplish something, to achieve something more than its commerce, more than all that was happening in it, it had one goal and one purpose. You say, well, what was the purpose of the city? Its purpose was to take the Greek culture and to spread it to all parts of the world. In the city of Philadelphia, they, they, you would see the customs of the Greek people and because all these highways, they intersected in that city, the customs of the Greek culture was being spread throughout all the world. Sometimes this city was referred to as the missionary city. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ deposits His church in the city of Philadelphia, and we know that Jesus didn't put His church there to spread Greek culture, did He? He put His church there to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the known parts of the world. Hey, guess what this morning, Olive Branch? That's why we are where we are. We are here today to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? 
We stand at a four-way stop this morning. Amen. God has given us an opportunity this way, that way, and yonder way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like Philadelphia was a strategic spot, I believe Olive Branch is in a strategic spot as well. Not only was it a strategic city, it was a special city. It was special. A, a, a king by the name of Adelias II was the founder, really, of the city of Philadelphia. Now the reason it got its name, Adelias had a brother in Menace, and he loved him greatly. He, he had developed a, a nickname for his brother called Philadelphus. Now, you can, you can see the connection, can't you? The word Philadelphus means one who loves his brother. And the word Philadelphia means a city of brotherly love. We have a Philadelphia in our own nation that was very instrumental in the Constitution and the forming of our country. That's this city. And into this city, God put His church that had fallen in love with Him and had fallen in love with serving other people and helping them come to love the Lord. It was a strategic city. It was a special city. But it also was a scary city. You say, well, what made it scary? It was scary for two reasons. One, there was an active volcano in the background of the mountains of the city of Philadelphia. And so these people were constantly uh, uh, perturbed by, by that old volcano as it would shake the earth and as it would uh, spew smoke up. And, and from time to time they would have to evacuate the city and go out and then come back in. It also was located on a geological fault line. And from time to time there would be earthquake tremors. And in A.D. 17, the city of Philadelphia was literally destroyed by an earthquake. When they would have those tremors, they'd have to evacuate. They'd go out of the city, getting away from all the buildings, out in the open country in, in an effort to survive. And then they'd come back in and sometimes they'd have to rebuild, going out and coming in. That's important to remember because Jesus is going to address that statement to this church a little bit later in His letter to them. It was a scary place. It also was a secular place. There were temples and, and uh, uh, idols in the city of Philadelphia. There was the worship of Caesar in the city of Philadelphia. In fact, and this is also interesting because Jesus is going to address it in the letter to His church. If you had done something notable, if you had done something noteworthy, oftentimes they would uh, take your name, they would put that name, inscribe it on a pillar in those ungodly and pagan temples in honor of the person who had done the noteworthy deed. You just keep that in mind because Jesus is going to talk about that at the end of His letter to this wonderful church. So here is a church deposited in a city and it is placed there in order to give honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a church that had put Jesus first. Here's a church that had a desire to honor God and be dedicated to Him in all ways of life. Now here's the thought that God gave me about this church. The key thought for this whole message, it runs all the way through these verses of Scripture. A church, I don't want you to listen to it, a church 
that keeps Jesus first will experience Jesus best. Did you hear me? A church that keeps Jesus first will experience Jesus best. And here is a church in the Bible that had kept Him first. They had honored Him in every way. And this church is experiencing Him better than any church that is mentioned out of the seven churches that are talked about in the book of Revelation. Well, let's see what we can learn about this church, this serving church, this church located in the city of Philadelphia. Three things I want you to notice with me about the church this morning. First thing I want you to notice is in verse 7. And that's what I call the master of the church. The master of the church. Remember I've said to you that in every one of these letters the Lord Jesus Christ gives a description of Himself. Well, this description Jesus gives is the longest of the descriptions to the churches. And so I just couldn't rush past it so what I did was, is I just created a point to deal with it. Isn't that the best way to handle it? So I just didn't want to rush past the, the, this description of Jesus. And so let's look at verse 7, and I want you to notice the master of the church. You do understand this morning that Jesus is the master of the church, don't you? You do understand today that Jesus is the foundation of the church, don't you? The pastor is not the foundation of the church. The deacons are not the foundation of the church. They're leaders in the church, but they're not the foundation of the church. Only Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is the foundation of His church. You remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 17? He said to Peter, He said, Upon this rock, not talking about Peter, but Himself, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. He said, No other foundation can be laid that has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And so here is Jesus, the master and founder of the church. And who is this Jesus? Well, notice what he says about himself. Look at what he says in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he, and here's the description of Jesus. Here's the master of the church. Look at him. He who is holy, I circle the word holy. He who is true, I circle the word true. He who has the key of David, I circle the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. And I circled the phrase, opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. There is the description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what do we learn about the master of this church? What do we learn about the master of our church? Well, there are two things you learn about Jesus in these verses. Let's look at these phrases that I mentioned that I would circled in my Bible. The first thing I want you to learn about the master of the church is what I call the attributes of the master. What are his attributes? What is his character? And you will notice that Jesus uses two words to describe himself. In verse 7 he says, I'm the one who is what? Holy. And I'm also the one who is true. Now let's look at those two things. They are the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, here's what that says to me. Jesus says, hey, I'm the one who's holy. 
That says to me that He is the sinless one. Jesus Christ is the absolute perfect one. He is the absolute holy one. In fact, did you know that 40 times in the Old Testament God is called the Holy One of Israel. In Leviticus 19 verse 2, the Bible says, Be you holy, for I the Lord am holy. He is the Holy One. He is the set-apart one. He is the different one. Listen, there is no God like our God. That old song that says there's no God like Jehovah. No God like Jehovah. Man, that's right. Because there is no God like our God. He is holy. He is the sinless one. But not only is He the sinless one, He is the sincere one. Notice He's not only holy, but He is also what? True. He is true. And that's an interesting word. Literally the word means genuine. Now we talk about you know things being genuine, things being real. I got news for you. The realest thing in the world is not a drink. It's Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. He is the real thing. He is the real deal. And you won't ever tap into living life like God intended you to live life until you have an experience and a relationship with the one who is true and real. Those are the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sinless one. He is the sincere one. But then notice not only the attributes of Jesus, but the authority. Notice the authority of the Master. Notice He says in verse 7, I am He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now what does that say to us? That tells us two things also about the Lord Jesus Christ, the master of the church. Number one, that tells us that He carries the keys. Do you see it? He carries the keys. He said, I have the key of David. Back in chapter 1, He says, I'm the, I, I got the keys. I've got the keys of death and of the grave. Jesus said in, Matthew, in, in Revelation 1 and verse 18, He's got the key. He carries the keys. Now, I found an interesting passage in the Bible that I had just missed until this week. Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 25, talk about a servant in David's kingdom. His name was Eliakim. Now, the interesting thing I read this week was is that David the king gave to his servant Eliakim his keys. Well, what'd that do for Elikam? That opened up everything that David had. It opened up the treasury house of David. It opened up the palace of David. I mean, if I were to hand you my keys to my house and my vehicle, then that opens up your opportunity of accessibility to my house and my vehicle. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus says, I got the keys, that means He has access to everything the Father has, access to everything heaven has, access to all eternity holds. My God's got the keys this morning. That's access. And because I know Him, guess what? I get into places that I never get into because I don't have those keys, right? But because I got Jesus, 
I got the keys. Amen. He carries the keys. But not only does he carry the keys, he controls the doors. Do you notice that? He controls the doors. He said, I'm the one who opens and no man can shut and I shut and no man can open. Not only does he carry the keys, but he controls the doors. Hey, look, I believe that I serve a God who's sovereign. I do. I believe I serve a God who is over all and he is powerful over all. And, and that means he can open doors for us. That means he can shut doors for us. Sometimes, you know, we get disappointed when a door shuts. Have you ever done that? Come on, let's just be honest in here this morning. Don't look so pious out there like you never had a door closed and been disappointed because it got closed. But look, let's don't be disappointed when God closes a door. That's just God keeping you from making a mistake. See what I'm saying? And not only that, what I've discovered is, is that when God closes a door, it's because God's got another door that He wants you to go through. And it's been my experience, that's a better door than the one you wanted to go through because God knows what's best for your life. He is the controller of the doors. Now that just also simply means, ladies and gentlemen, when God opens up a door for us, we don't need to be lallygagging around. We need to get on through it. Amen? You know, sometimes I, I know we need to pray about stuff. Now, don't, don't get me wrong about what I'm fixing to say. I know we need to pray about things. My wife will tell you, she will tell you that I don't move quick on most anything. I don't. So don't be upset if you ask me about something and I don't give you an answer right off. You know why I don't do that? I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to pray about it some more. I don't make quick decisions. I pray about them. It's just how I am. I, I don't really react at most stuff. I, I, I want to pray about it. But sometimes, you know, you just don't need to pray if God just showed you that, hey, there it is, wide open. Get on through that. You know what I'm saying? When God opens the door, we ought to be ready as a church to go through. You know why? Because I've discovered that sometimes doors of opportunity don't always stay open. You know, you just got a span of time sometimes to get it done. You got a span of time sometimes to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the master of the church. Hey, aren't you grateful that you have such a master as the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church and of your life as believers, the master of the church. But the second thing I want you to notice in verses 8, down through 11, is what I call the ministry in the church. Not only the master of this church, but I want you to notice the ministry in the church. The Lord Jesus had given this church a ministry. He had, he had opened some doors of opportunity for this church. And I want you to notice four things about the ministry of this church. Number one, I want you to notice that this ministry involved opportunity. It involved opportunity. Look at verse 8. Jesus said, I know your works. And, and four times, four times in the King James, four times he uses the word behold. You see, in, in, in verse 8 he says, I know your works. Behold. Some translations may say see. Behold, I set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You'll see that word behold in verse 9. Some translations say indeed, behold. And it also shows up middle ways, verse 9, behold, 
again, indeed, some translations say, and in verse 11 there is behold again. And, and from these verses, we see the ministry of the church. It involved opportunity. You notice verse 8, he said, I've set before you an open door, and nobody can shut. Did you know Jesus opens doors? I, I don't have time this morning. Let me just mention two or three. Let me just mention two or three real quick doors that Jesus has the keys to that He opens. Did you know that, know that Jesus opens the door of salvation for people? Did you notice that? Let, let, let me just give you this verse. I, I don't have time to read it for you. It's a great verse. It, it's Acts 14, verse 27. And in Acts 14, 27, Paul and, and Barnabas had been on a missionary journey and they had come back to Antioch to report the things that God had done. And what Paul said to the folks at Antioch is that God had opened a door of faith to the people where he had visited. What had God done? He had opened up the door of faith. He had opened up the door of salvation to some people. God opens the door of salvation. But not only does he open the door of salvation, he opens the door of service. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, Paul talked about in that verse how an, how an effective door for the gospel had been opened to him. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, he talks again about how a door had been opened up for the gospel to be shared. See, God opens up not only doors for people to be saved, He opens up doors and opportunities for us as a church to serve other people and thus to serve Him. He opens the door of salvation. He opens the door of service. He opens the door of sleep. And now, now, you say he has the keys to that door. The door of say, well, what, what is that? Revelation 1, 18. The door of death. Hey, guess what? Jesus has the key to the last breath you take. You notice that? You know that. And I got news for you. I don't care what medical science comes up with. I don't care how many machines they come up with to keep air pumped in your lungs. When God gets ready for you, brother, there ain't no doctor going to keep you here. God's going to take you on. He, he holds the keys to all of that. He's the holder of the keys. He opens up doors of opportunity for His people. So, so the, the ministry of this church involved opportunity. And I believe God has doors of opportunity for Olive Branch Baptist Church. I believe that. I believe He's opened up doors of opportunity already. I believe He is going to open up even more doors of opportunity. I'm as positive about where God has us and where God's taken us as anybody you have seen in this church. And let me just tell you something. We ain't seen nothing yet compared to what God can do and what God will do. And I, I needed a little better one than that. Amen. Yes, I did. Y'all drifting on me a little bit. I'm going to have to put, I'm gonna have to put a little cool air on y'all. Got a little warm in here. Y'all drifting off to sleep on me now. Got to... Got to wake you up here just a little bit. So there was a ministry of opportunity. But not only did it involve opportunity, it also was a ministry that involved opposition. You, you know, notice what he says as he continues on in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. You know what? Whenever God opens a door of opportunity, the devil will always come with opposition to it. Did you know that? And, and sometimes that opposition may be from without, and sometimes that opposition may come from within. 
Obviously, there was a group of people in the church at Philadelphia that weren't true believers. The Bible talks about wheat and tares and those kinds of things. And, and they were opposing the things that were going on. But you know what the Lord says? You just keep on hanging in there. You keep on being faithful to me. You keep on going through those doors of opportunity individually that I give and hang in there and I'll take care of the critics and one of these days they'll come down on their knees and acknowledge God loved you and was working through you. You just keep on trusting Jesus. You know, I, I, I've got to the point old enough now that I don't even worry about the critics. I don't even really worry about trying to, to address them. And in fact, I've done got so old that I ain't got that many more years left. I ain't got time to address the critics when there's people dying and going to hell. Them's the folks I want to get to and try to help with the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a, there was a ministry of opposition, a ministry of opportunity. Watch this. And I, I, could, I could stay on this, but I've got I to just give you a tidbit and I'll expand on it later. There was a ministry that involved optimism. Optimism. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. I circle the hour of trial, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Which shall come upon the whole world. I circle the whole world because that's important. To test those, and this next phrase is important, who dwell on the earth. Do you see it? I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. Somewhere out in your notes, you can put the, the letter, and I'm going to tell you what they represent. You can put the letters GT. That stands for Great Tribulation. The hour of trial he's talking about here refers to the Great Tribulation. We're going to talk about that in, in, in months to come. There are seven years that are coming on the earth called Great Tribulation. The church is going to get raptured out of here before that comes. Aren't you thankful for that? But that I, I believe that, and I'm going to show that to you as we study these passages of Scripture together. Notice it says this, this hour of trial, this great tribulation, one of these days it's coming, it's going to come on the whole world. We know that's true. And it's going to test those, and this is the first time this phrase has showed up in the book of Revelation. It'll show up in other places, and I'll draw more attention to it then than I am this morning. Those who dwell on the earth. See, there are going to be a group of people when the church is caught up out of here that they have only lived for this world and this world only. And they will continue to live for this world and this world only even during those horrible years of the Great Tribulation. But the, the word of optimism to you and me this morning is we ain't going through that. Amen? I mean, when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, I have a whole biblical basis for why I believe that the church is not going through those seven years of great tribulation. And I'll show that to you when we get there. One of the reasons is, and I'll just give you the little tidbit right now, is we're talking about one theme in chapters 2 and 3, and that's the church. I mean, over and over again, it's the church, right? In fact, every one of these letters closes with this phrase, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Well, I'll show it to you, but Revelation 13, 9, right in the middle now, keep this in mind, right in the middle of those seven years of great tribulation, there's a phrase that the Lord says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. Well, what's missing in that phrase? You know what's missing? The church is missing. You know why it's missing? 
because it ain't here. It's gone. Isn't that going to be something? Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I see Him face to face, the one who saved me by His grace. And when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Isn't that going to be something? Optimism, folks. We ought to be optimistic because good things are coming. I mean, we just got it good. Good stuff's happening in our church and good things are coming down the road. Whether it's present or future, it's good because we know the Lord. And then finally, this ministry involved obligation. Notice what the Lord said to him as he closed out talking about the ministry of this church in verse 11. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. What does he tell them to do? Hold fast to what you got. Hey man, don't turn it loose. Don't let it go. Hold on to what you're doing. Hold on to me. Honor me. Be dedicated to me. And look at the wonderful things that are promised to the people who will do that. So, so that's the master of the church. That's the ministry in the church. And finally, in verses 12 and 13, the message to the church. And he has a wonderful message. It's the overcomers again. Do you see it in verse 12? He who overcomes. Hey, I'm grateful that I'm an overcomer. Aren't you glad you're one too? Hey, if you're saved, that's who you are. You're an overcomer. Paul said in Romans 8, uh, 37, he, he said we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We're an overcomer. Boy, what a message he gives to the overcomers. It's a twofold message. One, it is a message of stability. It is a message of stability. Notice what he says, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. You see that? A pillar. A pillar where? In the temple of my God. Remember, I gave you that introduction about the city of Philadelphia. And in it, do you remember I said to you that, that in those days, that if somebody had done something noteworthy, that they would inscribe their name on a pillar in that old pagan temple in honor of what they had done? Well, guess what? You may not get your name inscribed on nothing down here, but God gives you a word of encouragement that if you love Him, serve Him, hold faithful to Him, that God will inscribe your name one of these days not on a pagan temple but on the temple of His God in glory and give you honor and praise right there because you love the Lord. Isn't that something? A message of stability. But watch, not only a message of stability, there is a message of security. Watch what he says as he closes out this last verse 12. He overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And watch. And he shall go out no more. See, they were always having to do what? Go out. Because they had to evacuate. Because that old volcano ran them out again. And then sometimes they'd have to go out because that old earth got to trim. And they had to evacuate again. But oh, one of these days ain't going to be no more going out, no more coming in because we're going to finally arrive where we'll be for all eternity. 
And then notice what he says. And he says, I will write on him. Watch this, three things. I'm going to give you three words. I will write on him the name of my God. Somewhere in your margins, just write the word Jehovah. I'm going to give you three J's. Jehovah. I will write the name of my God. Jehovah. Oh, that means ownership this morning, ladies and gentlemen. That means I belong to Him and He belongs to me. It means we're connected together. You know what that means? That's deliverance. Wasn't it Jehovah that delivered Egypt, uh, delivered Israel out of Egypt? And isn't it Jehovah God through His Son Jesus Christ that has delivered us out of sin? and delivered us up so that we have a future in glory one of these days? Write on them the name of my God, Jehovah. That speaks of deliverance. And then watch, he says, I'm going to also write on them the name of the city of God. You see that? New Jerusalem. There's my second J. Jerusalem. Not only do I have marked, not only am I marked by the name Jehovah, which speaks of my deliverance, but I am also marked by the name Jerusalem, watch out, which speaks of my destination. Man, I woke up early this morning, a little before four. I got my computer out. I, I just accidentally, no I didn't, providentially stumbled over the Gaithers doing their Jerusalem tour several years ago. Isn't that, I don't think that was accidental to y'all. I, I, I found that this morning. And, and the way that program started is it started, they're, they're in downtown Jerusalem. They're singing this homecoming concert on, on David's Citadel right there where David's throne was. And the hoppers started that thing off singing New Jerusalem. Man, I was ready to preach it three after four this morning. Can I tell you that? Wow, the new Jerusalem, man. And, 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 and I'm marked by that. That's my destination, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's where I'm headed. Oh no, when I get in my car, I'm not headed back to Greenville. I'm not just headed to the south side. I'm headed to the new Jerusalem one of these days, ladies and gentlemen. Like, the old, like old Bill Gaither said, I'm going home. I'm going home, man. I'm on my way home and I'm going to serve Jesus until He says, come on home, boy, and then I'm going home. Isn't that something? Jehovah, Jerusalem. See, Jehovah, that speaks of my deliverance. Jerusalem, that speaks of my destination. And then watch this. We got something coming we don't even know how good it's going to be. It's going to be so good, God's saving it to them. Isn't that something? Don't you like having something out there? Don't you like it? Watch what he says. He says, and I'm going to just read this whole verse. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, that's Jehovah deliverance, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that's Jerusalem, destination, and then watch, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him, uh-oh, my new name. Now, the only J I got that can compare is Jesus. You figured it out, didn't you? Jesus. Jesus. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment 
of all that God is. So if Jehovah speaks of my deliverance and Jerusalem speaks of my destination, well, guess what? Jesus speaks of my delight. And watch what this verse says. Jesus says to me and He says to you, I got a new name I'm going to give you. I got a new name I'm going to write on you. And you don't even know it yet. You don't even know about it yet. In fact, folks, it'll take all eternity for you and I to delve into the depths of how good Jesus is and how good Jesus has been to us. What a name that is. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that, does it? Jehovah, we've been delivered. Jerusalem, we got a destination. And Jesus, He is the delight and deliverance of our soul. Man, that ought to fire us up a little bit this morning. And the only way I know to close this message is to just challenge you the way the old country preacher challenged his church. And here's what he said. And it's my final word to Olive Branch this morning. He said it's time for the church to wake up, sing up, preach up, and pray up, and never back up, let up, or shut up until the church is filled up or we are called up. And all I've got to say is amen and amen, ladies and gentlemen. Man, what a future we got. What a God we got. What a Savior we got. What a blessing we got. It ought to fire us up to hit this community and tell them about Jesus Christ. Let's bow together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious word, for the power and truth of your word. Lord, you are the master of this church. You open the doors of ministry to this church. And you have given us a magnificent message. Father, it gets tough down here. The way gets hard. But Lord, slip your arms around us and allow your word to constantly encourage us that we might faithfully continue to serve you by serving others in this community and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In His name I pray, Amen.